As we move through human history, there is this one constant. The kingdom of darkness opposes the kingdom of God. There are keys to understanding this as these two great themes of scripture advance in the earth. Welcome to Current Affairs with Sam Solon. Now, let's bring all of what we've been studying in the last four sections back into Revelation 13, starting at verse 11. Prior to this, the beast has arisen, that pompous horn, that spokesman, speaking blasphemous things uh, against God in in context of uh, the name of God, the dwelling place of God, and those who dwell in heaven and deceives those who dwell upon the earth, so much so that all those who dwell upon the earth will worship the beast. And those are those whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world. Now, as we get into this, let me point out One of the things that genealogies are, they are the names, the records of those who have descended from a family. Simple enough, isn't it? In the books of both Matthew and Luke, uh, there are genealogies, the genealogies of Jesus. In Matthew, his genealogy begins with Abraham, with a sidestep or detour uh, to reference uh, David, the generations of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brethren, and so on. And in Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, in Luke 13, in Luke 3, rather, the genealogy of Jesus begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, and so on, back to the son of Adam, who was the son of God. Genealogies. They're called the books of genealogies. And one's name was enrolled in the book of his fathers. Jesus, when he was born, was taken up to Bethlehem to be enrolled. And his enrollment was in the book of his genealogies. Why am I making such a deal out of this? Those, they're those who dwell on the earth who worship the beast. Those who dwell in heaven are enrolled genealogically in the Lamb's book of life. That's the record of the sons of God. And it further describes 
the legitimacy by which our names came to be written in the book of the Lamb by saying that we are part of this covenant of redemption. The Lamb was slain, shedding of blood, shedding of His blood, to redeem sons to God. You remember in the early part of the book of Revelation, when heaven is speaking the praises of Christ, it says, Blessed is the, is the Lamb uh, who was slain, uh, who purchased men for God from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, and made them to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The praise was specifically to the Lamb who was slain, who by His blood purchased men for God. So now the Lamb's book of life is the reference of those who constitute this eternal genealogy. They are found in Christ. Now, the natural genealogy of Jesus from Abraham, uh, from, uh, from Christ to Adam or from Adam to Christ, that natural genealogy uh, was, was, to, was in number 62 generations and it was meant to establish that they are the sons of God because Adam was the original Son of God. If Jesus is the Son of God, then Jesus is, uh, if Jesus is Son of Adam, then He is the Son of God by extension. The genealogy in Matthew begins by highlighting His relationship to the King. David was the first King of promise and the promise was originally given to Abraham and to his seed. For to the seed of Abraham, Judah, it had been said by his father Jacob, the scepter, what is a scepter? Scepter is a king's staff. The scepter shall not pass from Judah, nor the king's staff from between his knees. He will tie his colt to the vine and he'll wash his robes in the blood of grapes. Judah only gave up that staff one time. He gave it up to Tamar who disguised as a prostitute that she might conceive by Judah. So he really never actually gave up the staff. He passed the genealogical reference of the king to the children of Judah via Tamar or the child of Judah uh, through Tamar. Judah had two sons uh, by Tamar. One of them was Perez, and uh, the other, I believe, was uh, Zerah. Uh, the staff went, or the authority, uh, 
to produce the king went to Zerah. And the Zerahites produced Christ eventually. The names that are written in the Lamb's Book of Life represent both the combination of the natural and the spiritual, just like they represent the combination of the priest and the king. In Adam, in the reference in Luke to Adam, is the genealogical rec- the focus of that genealogical record is that of the priestly order, because Adam was the first son of God and the first high priest in the order of Melchizedek. By contrast, David was the first king, and G- king according to that promise I just talked about, that Judah was given and that passed down through his descendants of Zerah. That made him both a kingly line and a priestly line. So in the natural, these two principles are held for us in the genealogy of Christ. But concerning those who are written in the book of life of the Lamb slain, for our purposes, it is how a natural lineage to which we are not naturally related becomes our lineage. Because when it comes to Christ, it changes from the natural and becomes both the natural lineage and now the spiritual lineage. So, whoever belongs to Christ, Galatians tells us, whoever belongs to Christ are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So Abraham is the father of our faith, although we are not naturally related to him. By coming to Christ, we are given the genealogy of the natural. We are given the royal priestly order. When we are grafted into Christ, we are seen through the lenses of Christ both naturally and spiritually. But even though the natural came first, it is the spiritual that is preeminent. The natural is really just an illustration of what the spiritual was meant to, of which the spiritual was meant to be the fullness. So it's not about being a Jew. That's to know Abraham apart from the promise. It's about being Israel, the Israel of God, the promise. Because when God renamed Jacob, He gave him a spiritual name. Just like when He renamed Abram, He gave him a spiritual name. When He renamed Abram to Abraham, He changed the name from exalted father to father of many nations, which would include the Gentiles 
in anticipation that they would come in to Abraham's lineage through Christ. So we have the natural and the spiritual. In the same way when he renamed uh, Yaakov, Jacob, the heel grabber or the supplanter, he named him Israel. El is God and the root of Israel is Prince of God. So he renamed us or he renamed him spiritually in anticipation of giving us a place in the genealogy of Christ both naturally and spiritually. The Lamb's Book of Life then comprises of those who are the sons of God, who are the dwellers in heaven, who are the heirs of the promise, who are a royal priesthood. Totally different, totally distinct from those who dwell on the earth. Now why is this so important? Well it's important in as much as it tells us that we are the fulfillment of promise. What that means is we have an identity. We are identified with Christ. We are in Christ and therefore we are identified as the sons of God, the dwellers of heaven, the eternal, the ones of an eternal life. You have to know who you are in these times if you're going to resist being reclassified as being of the earth and therefore subject to Satan. The attack will be on our identity and the attack will be on our purpose. If you can be reduced in your identity to a son of man, then you are also reduced in your purpose to survival. To survival. And the beast will promise you survival while threatening your your annihilation because he presses down, oppresses, devours, crushes those who may be crushed, devoured and, and tread down by the threat of not having enough. I am amazed, you know, at the fact that I see old people now, older people, older people in their 60s, their 70s, being the primary supporters of a politics of fear. I take no comfort in this because what it tells me is they are not identified with the Lamb. They're not identified with heaven. They're not identified as, and, and they have no identity in regards to the hope of God's calling, God's glorious inheritance in the saints, and the working of God's mighty power. All three things as the fundamental premise of the book of Ephesians who 
which, which book was written by Paul for the express purpose of revealing the wisdom and counsel of God in regards to our identity and our purpose. All of that is what we mean by being in the Lamb's Book of Life. The Lamb's Book of Life is not a book that will be eventually opened to reveal the secret of those who made it into the book. We may rejoice now as Jesus told His disciples that our names are written in the book because that's what we know. We have the Spirit of Truth we can discern accurately. Now then, that's just on the book of the Lamb who was slain. Now, in verse 11 he says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. This first beast came up out of the sea. It means it arose from among humanity, from the sea of nations as it were, and I've gone through and deconstructed all of that in previous messages. But this one coming up out of the earth, this beast who comes up out of the earth, he comes up, the reference to the earth is those who have a demonic wisdom because it's the wisdom of carnality, it's the wisdom of deception, it knows how the world thinks. Because you see, the cosmos was established by Satan to capture the souls of men in the fear of lack, in the fear of not having sufficiency of provision and protection. So when it speaks of it coming up out of the earth, it's a reference to taking its, its knowledge and its, its complete familiarity with how people who are carnal think. Can you hear me? It knows how carnal people think. It knows how to trap people by threatening their provision and their protection. I have never seen in my 70 years of life, I've never seen more older Christians scared to death and their sole and exclusive reason for their involvement in politics is all about their fear of not having enough. It's as though the veil has been pulled back and God is saying to the church, this is who you really are. This is who you have become. All of those political and social and religious leaders who are popular, almost without exception, are popular because they're the best at working you up into a lather over your fear. And the only way off of that island 
is by trusting in the Lamb. Why does he even say the Lamb who was slain from the foundations of the world? Because the Lamb is a reference to sacrifice, the animal that was sacrificed, and to be slain is how he was sacrificed. It means when God required it, he held nothing back, he trusted God. Now what did God do? Well first He didn't keep him from dying because He knew that the freedom from death lies in the pathway of dying. In order to be free from death, you cannot be merely kept from the fear of it by avoidance. Avoiding death is never an answer that allows you to overcome that fear. Going through death and then being resurrected is the only way, I'll repeat, it's the only way to overcome fear. A second beast comes up out of the earth. He is the merchant of fear. Listen, there's no way you can escape these deceptive personages because they know how your soul thinks. They know your soul better than you know your soul. And they've crafted their appeal to your soul as finely as that might be crafted and far better than you could even detect. That's why it's called deception. You can't rely on your ability because you read it in the Bible that one day there will appear the compendium of lawlessness in the form of a man that you're going to be able somehow to dodge this character. You're not. It's this beast who rises, this is the man of lawlessness. He arises from the earth. He doesn't arise from the truth, he arises from the earth. This is the man of lawlessness, the second beast. He arises out of the popularity, the acclaim of men and they are, he's popular and he's acclaimed precisely because he knows how to torment you with the worst of your fears. That's what we're looking at. He comes up out of the earth. Now you understand, he arises out of your fears, of the, the popular and common fears of the collection of human beings. Comes up out of the earth and look at him. He has two horns like a lamb. And he spoke like a dragon. What's this about two horns like a lamb? He looks like the lamb, horns, soundings, power. When you read about the lamb, here in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, chapters 5 and 6, 
He's not a lamb with two horns. He's a lamb with seven horns and seven eyes. Which means if the horn is the power of the animal, a seven-horned lamb is all-powerful because seven is the number of power. This one has two, so he looks like it, it, it's more natural-looking, if you like, although we're not really talking about natural things. He's natural-looking, which means he will speak great things and blasphemies, but they will, appear, they will appeal to those who are not familiar with the seven-horned lamb. They'll appeal to your natural senses. So, so his sayings, what he sounds, if you, if you take the second meaning of the word horn to mean uh, a trumpet, if you take that second meaning, Part of what he says sounds right, but it says, and he spoke like a dragon. In other words, even though it appeals to those who are perishing, the true meaning of what he's saying is in full furtherance of the mindset of the dragon. He exercises all the authority of the seven-headed, ten-horned beast. So he is a surrogate with a limited purpose. He's not the beast, but he exercises all the subtleties, all of the cultural and uh, spiritual implications of this beast. He is the persuader and, and he, because of what he does, he performs great signs so that he makes fire come down from heaven in the sight of men because he does that. He is a religious figure. Now I want you to go back, I just read what he does, I want you to go back and look at the man of lawlessness. Verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is in accordance to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception amongst those who are perishing. Now what did it say? You just read that, you just heard that. Keep that in mind while we go back to the book of Revelation, the 13th chapter, and let's read it again. It says, he performs great signs so that even, and even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. This is the lawless one. This is the lawless one. 
and he enforces his deception, he puts his deception on display through signs and lying wonders. Now this is the one whose number is 666. I'm Sam Solon and we're right on the edge of unpacking this thing for you. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.